good to be it's good to be back with you again today. And if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to Luke chapter eight, verses one through three. Luke chapter eight, one through three. Is that better? I I moved just a little bit. I can hear that. Is that better? I think that's a little bit better. Yeah. All right, so the title of the message this morning is Little is Much. Little is Much. It reminds me of a song that I don't, I don't think I've sang it in quite a few years. I don't, not in the churches that I've been going to, but I remember singing it quite a bit at my home, a uh, little church out in the country around Nettleton from where I'm from, Temple Grove Baptist Church. Little is Much When God is In It. Does the place you're called to labor seems too small and little known? It is great if God is in it, and he'll not forget his own. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There is a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. You probably remember that song. may have seen it more recently than I have, but... Uh, when, you look, when I read through this passage, I think this song is going to come to your mind. So let's read Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. When I look at this, uh, this passage, I'm reminded that Jesus' ministry was characterized by limited resources. Limited resources. But God was able to do an incredible thing through the ministry of Jesus. And that just reminds me, little is much when God is in it. See, Jesus' birth was an unconventional birth. And when you compare that to the birth of others who were born kings, Jesus' birth was nothing, really. I mean, the second person of the Trinity. The God of heaven came down to earth and lived as a man. He was born through a virgin and only livestock was there to witness it. Instead of a great pageantry of bells and parades, some shepherds from a nearby field came over because angels had told them about what had happened. See, Jesus' life was marked by limitations and not excesses. We know his parents were poor, right? His parents were poor because when they go to present him in the temple, they do not present the normal offering or the normal sacrifice. They actually present the poor person's sacrifice. They give to turtle doves. And according to our standards today, we would say that Jesus lived in extreme poverty. Even he himself said that he had no place to lay his head. He had no place of his own. There were many times where they did not have food nor money. But God was able to use the ministry of Jesus, and he turned the world upside down.
because of that man. See, Jesus' ministry was marked by little compared to the other religious leaders of that time as well. Now, when you think about if you were going to start a new business, if you were going to start this new venture of a business, what would you do? Would you find some people who could be on your team, people who are trained, people who can lead, people who are well-respected in the community? You would probably pick a place that is a place where other people are, a place that is easily gotten to. But what does Jesus do? Jesus, in the passage, we know that he picks people who are on the outside of the norms. He picks people who are tax collectors. He picks people who are fishermen and even political zealots. And he is able to change the world with those regular people. You could even say that some of them were the pariah of their communities. They were the outcasts. But Jesus used them. His life and his ministry was characterized by limitations, not excesses. Do you see what I mean? His, his ministry was characterized by those limited resources. He didn't have a state-of-the-art building. He didn't have cushioned pews. He didn't have a baby grand piano, and he didn't have an electric organ. But he was still able to do the things that God had called him to do. And in the result, he was able to change the world. He had very little, but little is much when God is in it. See, limitations are not a problem for God. In fact, I would argue that some limitations are placed by God to direct attention back to him. All we have to do is survey the Old Testament to see that God used a little shepherd boy to kill one of the greatest and mightiest warriors that have ever walked this earth. God brings some limitations so that the people do not receive the glory, but God receives all of the glory. I think that's important for us to remember. Sometimes I think to myself, how can a smaller church with limited resources minister to a people or a community to which they are called in comparison with churches that seem to have unlimited resources. How can a smaller church minister to the people that they are called to minister to when there are churches like an Oakland Baptist Church or a First Baptist Corinth or a Wheeler Grove that seems to have all of the resources that they could possibly need? And then I'm reminded of a passage like this, that little is much when God is in it. God, there are no limitations with God. He may place limitations on us. He may place limitations on ministries. But he himself has no limitations. So little is much when God is in it. I hope this morning as I preach through this passage and I show you what I want to show you from this scripture, that it would be encouraging and not discouraging. I, I hope that you would be pushed to remain faithful to the ministry that God has called you to do and recognize that some of the limitations that Jesus had in his ministry are the limitations that many churches have today 
And if God can overcome those limitations, then he can overcome the limitations that any church has today. So what are some of the limitations that Jesus had on his ministry then? Well, the first one I want you to see is the one of geography. Look at verses 1. It says, uh, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village. Now we know that this man, he has been going around from place to place. He's been going to one area after another, ministering. He has just left, if you've read through Luke, Luke chapter 7, Jesus had just ate with Simon the Pharisee, and a woman had come and anointed him with oil. He was going from these one places to another. He was traveling, and he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Now look how Jesus, uh, Luke describes the places that Jesus was going. It says that he went through every city and village. Now, Jesus' ministry, it was limited in the geography in the sense that where was he preaching at? He was preaching at a place around Judea. He did not, even though he preached from Dan to Beersheba, even though he preached in all of Israel, he was only preaching in Israel. Do you know how big Israel is? <coughs> About the size of Mississippi. Maybe the size of Mississippi, maybe a little bit bigger than the size of Mississippi. It's not a big place at all. He is only ministering around the area of Israel, and he is going to cities and villages. Do you know how many major cities are in Israel at the time Jesus is ministering? There's only one. There's only one city. It's the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a major city in that time, and Jesus would go there. But there was actually a period of time that Jesus did not preach or minister in Jerusalem for almost a period of one and a half years. And you remember that his ministry was only three years long. So much of his ministry is where? It's in the small places. It's in the places like Nazareth. It's in the places of villages. He's going from one area to the next. Now, if you consider what Jesus is doing in light of what some major evangelists do today, there's a big difference, isn't there? I mean, what do the big evangelists do today? They go to the large cities. There are evangelists, these world-known evangelists that go to places like New York City, Salt Lake City. They go to places like London where they can go and they can get 100,000. Even up to a million people. Billy Graham preached to a million people one time. Imagine, I mean, if we were thinking about in our human understanding, if we were wanting to preach and teach to change the world, where would you go? You'd go to the big places. But Jesus does not do that, does he? Jesus preaches, yes, at Jerusalem, but he doesn't go down to Egypt to preach in those cities. Rome is the major world power at that time. And as far as we know, the only two apostles who went to Rome and preached was actually the apostle Paul and Peter. So Jesus himself never even went to Rome, this world power of a city. He preached in the small places. 
You know, when I think about those world-known evangelists, as I've already told you, I'm from Nettleton. My hometown is Nettleton. It's in South Lee County, right on the Lee County, Monroe County line. And as far as I know, none of those world-known evangelists have ever been to Nettleton. And as far as I know, when I was pastoring at Holly, none of those world-known evangelists had ever been to Sogi. And as far as I know, since I've been living around in North Mississippi, around this area, none of them have been to Mini City, have they? Nope. See, Jesus' ministry was characterized by going to the small places. And this is what I want you to know. Calvary Baptist Church has limited resources when it comes to geography. God has not called you to, to minister to the people of Memphis. God has not called you to minister to the people of Tupelo. God has called you to minister to the people who are around this church right now. You are limited to the people around Norman Road. You're, you're limited to the people at Mini City. You are limited to the, to the place of Alcorn County, to, to uh, Corinth, and to Kasuth, and to Sogi, and to, to the Biggersville area. You're limited in your geography, and there aren't millions of people in Alcorn County. You're limited in geography but there are plenty of people for you to minister to right around this church and in this community. I just want you to think about this too while you're thinking about who God has called you to minister to. Did they go to Jesus or did Jesus go to them? It's actually both. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, it was a little bit of both. Jesus would travel to this city or to this village, and he would preach to them. The centurion traveled to see Jesus. You remember blind Bartimaeus met Jesus on the road. The lame man from Mark chapter 2 was actually carried by his friends to see Jesus. But likewise, Jesus was traveling through Samaria, a place a Jewish person wouldn't want to be caught dead in, a bad place to Jewish people. He was traveling through Samaria, and he met a woman at a well, and he began to speak to her there, and began to minister to her there. So what I want you to understand from this is that in the sphere of what God is calling you to do, God is calling you to minister to the people that are right around this church. You, you are being called to make sure these doors are open every Sunday morning at 1045 so people can come and hear the preaching of God's word. But like, also, likewise, you are called to go outside of these doors into the community to the people you know. You, you don't have to try to go and knock on every door around this community. You know lost people. Those lost people are in your family. Those lost people are your friends. Those lost people are the people you work with. You, you don't have to try to get creative in how you can minister to people you don't know. You know plenty of people who are lost. 
And all you've got to do is tell them about Jesus, invite them to church, minister to the people that God has called you to minister to. So the sphere of God's activity in the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church should include the things that you are doing on a Sunday and a Wednesday, but it should include what you are doing in your personal life. It would be unheard of, right? Let me just say, it would be unheard of, right, if we were reading through the Bible and we got to the New Testament and it says, and Jesus took the week off because it was not Sunday. No, Jesus went every day, was on mission every day, doing what God had called him to do. It would be unheard of if we were reading through the book of Acts and it said, and Paul took the week off because he had to make tents so that he could be there on Sunday so they could worship together. It would be unheard of. No, these are people who were so transformed by the word of God, by the spirit of God, that they allowed the Lordship of Christ to affect every area of their life, not only on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well. They were ministering right where God had called them to be. One of the questions that's asked in the Bible, you remember when the man said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's hoping... What Jesus is going to say is the people of uh, the Jewish people. But the story of the Good Samaritan kind of rules all of that out. You know who I think your neighbor is? The people you see every day. So the next time you're pumping gas, and that person on the other side of the gas pump, that's your neighbor. Your neighbor is the person you're closest to at any point in the day. And we're called to show the love of God to the people that we come in contact with. We, we don't have to go to far off places. No, we're not going to be able to minister to millions of people right where God has called us to be. But if we're going to be faithful, we will minister to the people God has called us to minister to. Right where you are. Right here around this church. So Jesus was limited geographically. The second that I want you to see this morning is that Jesus was limited theologically as well. <clears throat> Look at verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus didn't cover a broad spectrum in his preaching. He didn't cover many political issues, even though people tried to get him to speak on political issues. Jesus didn't talk about the leading philosophical ideas of his day. Jesus didn't come and preach many self-help lessons, but Jesus did come and preach the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. There are two words in the passage that really define his methodology about preaching the kingdom of God. 
the two words, you see them there, he is doing what? He is preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Some of your translations probably say something like preaching and teaching. The translation I'm using, New King James Version, says the preaching and the bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. The word preaching there is the Greek word caruso. It means, it's the, it's the word that means herald. Think back, you know, maybe to a history class and you learn about these heralds, these, these people who would go and announce. Think back to some of the, some of the uh, older cartoons that I can remember watching where this person would go into town and they would blow a trumpet and all the people would come by and, and there would be a person, they would start standing out there yelling and telling, basically giving announcements, right? On this day, this is going to happen. That's the word that is being used here. It is a herald. It is a person who stands openly and public and makes a public pronunciation, a proclamation about something. And what is Jesus preaching in this passage? He is preaching the glad tidings of the kingdom. With this idea of preaching comes this idea of acceptance. And there comes this idea of, of being under the authority. When a herald would go into a town or a city, they came with the authority of the king or the emperor or the the governor of that day. When they spoke and they said, on this day, be prepared for the arrival of the king. If a person wasn't prepared, they were responsible for their, uh, for their negligence. Because with the preaching of God's word, there comes this, this responsibility on the person who is a preacher to preach accurately and to preach in such a way that someone is going to li listen but there also becomes a responsibility for every person who hears the preaching or the proclamation. There is a call to respond. And every person, for every sermon that you've ever heard, you've responded to it. <coughs> every sermon you've ever heard, you've responded to it. You've either responded to change are you responded to forget what you've heard? You either responded to accept it, to fall under that, that call, or whatever it may be, or you've responded in a way that you've dismissed it, that you do not want to fall under that authority. See, with the preaching of the kingdom of God, what Jesus is doing here in this passage he is going through these places, the cities and villages, and he is preaching. He is calling people to do what? To repent of their sins and to follow God and to get right. But also, what is he doing? He's bringing or he's, he's teaching. It says he is preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Or he is preaching and teaching. You know what the word for teaching there is. It's the word that we get our word evangelized from. He is going through and he is evangelizing people. 
Not only is he telling them the demands of the kingdom, but he is calling them to a relationship with God. And the way that the word is kind of described here, it's more of this, this discussion. It's more of this conversation that Jesus has. Let me ask you this. Do you think the woman at the well would have listened to Jesus if he would have stood up on the side of the well and said, Listen here, you sinner. I know exactly everything that you've done. Now, what did he do? He sat there and he talked with the woman at the well. And because of that, her life was changed. There's a need for both. There's a need for preaching. There's a need for proclamation and calling people to repent and to come under the authority of the Word of God. But there's also a need for people to have these long evangelizing conversations that are built through relationship that we can draw people to follow God through our conversations and the way that we live our lives. See, Jesus, when he came, he came preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom of God. I don't want this to sound too uh, emotional. I, I don't want this to sound like I, I'm trying to stir y'all up, because I'm not trying to stir you up. But there, there's churches around our, our area. There are churches around this nation where people would rather get up and preach self-help sermons. They would rather get up and they would rather preach philosophical ideas. They would rather talk about Sigmund Freud or many other things today than the Word of God. But God has called this church as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Calvary Baptist Church, right here in Alcorn County, to not think about all of the things of the world. You, this pulpit is not to be a political pulpit. This pulpit is not to be a philosophical pulpit. It is to be a pulpit where the Word of God is preached. God has limited this church to theology. And the theology is that Christ Jesus is Lord. And so... And I know y'all are at a crucial time in your church. You're at a crucial time because the next person that you call to be the pastor of this church is going to stand behind this pulpit, it's going to stand on this platform, and is going to proclaim something until God calls him somewhere else. And you want a person who is going to stand behind this pulpit on this platform and who is going to preach the word of God and do so faithfully, week in and week out. Jesus, he came and he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. And we have an opportunity to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And the good news of the kingdom of God is this, that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and died a horrible death so that we could be forgiven. I, I, know, I don't think any of you here know my story, but 
I'll just say I, I was a drug addict. I was a drug addict for close to 10 years. And the good news of the gospel is that the, a drug addict can be saved. Amen. And a drug addict can be called to the ministry. A high school dropout. The good news is a high school dropout can eventually get a GED, go back to school, and become a professor. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. That's the good news of the gospel, that no matter what you've done, God is in the transformation business. He takes what is broken and restores what is broken. He takes churches with little strength and gives them the strength that they need. He, he takes people whose lives are falling apart. He takes marriages that are falling apart and he brings them back and he restores them. That is the good news of the kingdom of God. That even in our sin, that God would send his son to die for us. The good news of the kingdom of God is that it's open to anybody. If a person is willing to confess that Jesus is Lord, and they are willing to believe that God raised him from the dead, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that that person will <coughs> be saved. See, there's hope. There's hope in the message of the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's the message we, we get to go out and preach. That's the message every church in this area, the message that I get to preach every day at Blue Mountain College, is the, the message that all of you get to share with people you know, family members and friends. It is a message of hope. No matter what you've done, you can be saved and you can be forgiven and God can transform your life. See, Jesus was limited theologically, but we are also limited theologically. We're limited to the message of Christ crucified for our sake. And then lastly, he has the limitation of economy. I'm going to read verses up 1 through 3 now, okay? And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. As we think about Jesus' ministry, we must think about the limitation that was placed on him economically. Now, I know that many of you probably think that's just money, but it's, it's more than money. It's it's economics. We talk about the economics of, of football games. You know, we talk about economy when it comes to gas. We talk about economy when it comes to a lot of different things. And when you look at the economics of Jesus' ministry, he was limited in the people to whom he ministered. We're going to talk about money in just a second. But... He was limited in the people to whom he could minister. There are time, two times in Jesus' ministry when he ministered to at least a crowd of 4,000 and then a crowd of 5,000. But immediately in John, we are told, John chapter 6, 
that after he ministered to the 5,000, Jesus looked at the crowd and he told them that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no part in the kingdom of God. And you remember what one of the people said? One of the people in the crowd said, that's a hard saying. How are we supposed to follow him? And then John says, and many people stopped following him that day. At the largest part of his ministry, he was ministering to at least 5,000. But in the day-to-day -day operation, the day-to-day -day ministry, how many people was he ministering to? That we know on a consistent basis. Twelve. Twelve. He ministered to twelve people on a consistent basis for three years of his ministry. Every once in a while, there would be more. Sometimes, there would be less. But on average, there were 12 people. You think about what Jesus is doing right then at that time. For a place, let's just say, the size of Mississippi, Jesus, in three years, traveling from line to line, border to border, no telephones, no Twitter, no, no Facebook, no podcast, no vehicles, with 12 people. And he's ministering to the whole place. And God uses that ministry to turn the world upside down because it would go from 12 to at least 120. <coughs> On the day of Pentecost, it would go to 3,000. And after the day of Pentecost, eventually Paul gets to Rome and the ministry, according to the book of Acts, Paul is in Rome preaching to the nations about Jesus Christ. And here we are today in Alcorn County, Mississippi, from something that started in a little bitty place with just a few people a couple of thousand years ago. So what I want you to understand is that, yeah, a church that has seven, eight hundred people, they can do a lot. They can. But little is much when God is in it. A church with 20, 25 people in it, 50 people in it, 75, 150, whatever that may be, God can use that church to change the community around the church. See, because we, or because you, have limited resources doesn't mean that God is limited. Because God can take that and God can use it for his honor and glory. Jesus was also limited with resources when it comes to money. 
Notice that in the passage, what does it say? There are women who are given. Women who are named in the passage, and it says that they provided for Jesus as he went through. I'm sure that there's probably some church, I'm sure there's probably some church around the nation that has no need for money. They got all the money they need, whatever they want to do, they can just go out and do it. But every church I've ever served in Mississippi, money's always an issue. They, they can't pay the pastor enough, or they can't pay the music minister enough, or they can't go out and do the ministry that they want to do in the community. There's always going to be a limitation of money when it comes to a ministry. Does that mean you just give up on everything? Does that mean a church just gives up and starts packing away and saving up for one day that they can do some type of ministry that they want to do? No. God's called them right then with the limited resources that they have to do what God has called them to do. And that is to preach the good news of the kingdom and to reach the people of the community. See, Jesus' ministry is limited in a lot of different ways. Limited geographically, theologically, and economically. But that did not stop him from turning the world upside, upside down. What's your excuse? Many churches, many ministries, they complain about where they are. They complain about what they have to do. Or they complain about what they have. But that didn't stop Jesus. Even with those limited resources, Jesus was able to change the world. And this is what we got to remember. Little is much when God is in it. In the harvest field now ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest, calling you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a message that compels us to go and to do the work which you've called us to do. Father, I pray for this church. God, I pray that as they search for a pastor, as they begin that process, even today, that God, you will begin preparing that person, that man you have for this ministry. God, I pray that you will begin to knit his heart together with this church, and, and God, you would even begin to knit this church's heart together with him. God, I pray that through that process, you will show yourself to be a God of, of strength, a God of vision. You will make the path wide for them. You will make it easy for them to follow your will to the next person. God, I pray that even as they search, that they would not stop the ministry that God has called them to do. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you will give them a fresh vision God, that you will stoke the embers of their heart for the people around this area, for the people you've called them to, 
God, that you would send them out from here with the message of hope for all they need. Father, I pray for a person, for that person who may be lost here today. God, I pray that through this message and through this time now, God, if they're lost, that you would convict them of their lostness and draw them to salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.